Good morning to everyone. Uh, again, my name is Andre, and it's a joy to be with you this morning and to serve in this way. Bye, kids. Um, this, <laughs> this morning, uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, and I want to answer the question, what does life and victory in Christ mean? What does life and victory in Christ look like? My hope is that by the end of our time, this morning we'll have a fuller understanding of victory in Christ and how that applies to our daily lives uh, here in 2018. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, turn in your Bibles or scroll on your phones to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. I'll go ahead and read as you guys follow along. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let me go ahead and pray. God, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your word that you have given to us that we may know you. And as we come to know you, more and more. May, your, may our hearts and lives be changed, that as we learn of your holiness and perfect character, we would strive to be like you. Our hearts would be transformed and our spirits be renewed through your word. God, I pray for the message from your word this morning, that it would ring true in our hearts and that we would be encouraged and empowered through the Holy Spirit to live confidently in the victory that we have in Christ. And God, I do pray, as, as Wayne mentioned even before, for those who are, are in a place of brokenness or, or suffering or, um, or just feeling lost, I pray that your word this morning, the fellowship of believers being here at church, would be of a comfort and joy to them. We give this time to you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, we're in 2 Corinthians uh, today because of an assignment that I recently had, and I just had so much encouragement and gained so much insight from uh, my professor, Dr. Rick Mellick, uh, that I wanted to pass that on. And so open up uh, God's Word. Um, he did such a great job of opening up God's Word through context, and uh, I think that I want to share that with you and so we can have a deeper understanding of what Paul is saying here and then hope to apply it to our, our context today. So, let's dive in. Um, verse 14 through 17, and like I said, I want to answer the question, what does life and victory in Christ look like? And the first thing before I, we go into what Paul is talking about, the first thing we have to recognize is that all of it, all of what we'll talk about today, victory in Christ, it all comes from God. It is from God that we have victory. And Paul starts off by saying this in verse 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ. Our victory is because of him. It's through him, it's by him, it's in him. And we did nothing to achieve or earn the victory that we have in Christ. 
It's a shared victory with Christ when he took on our sins, sacrificed himself on the cross, and died the death that we were supposed to die, and rose from the dead. He defeated death and paved the way for us to have eternal life with him. And that victory is ours as well. Jesus gained it, and we share in it. And so for those who believe in Christ, we share an eternal life with him. We no longer have to fear death, but look forward to life in heaven. Verse 14 continues, Who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. These two things that Paul mentions in this passage, procession and fragrance, are in reference to something in Roman culture. Um, Rome at the time was the ruling empire when Paul wrote this letter, and they had a massive empire, one of the largest the world had ever seen. And that empire grew because of war. Rome's power spread as they conquered city after city, people after people. And part of their custom after these wars and and winning these wars uh, included two things, a procession and incense. Scott Hoffman, uh, who contributed to the NIV commentary, says this. This triumphal procession was a lavish parade conducted in Rome to celebrate great victories and significant military campaigns. And so there were these over-the-top celebrations with generals and all the soldiers and uh, all the treasures and spoils of war done in the most elaborate theatrical ways. And these processions not only displayed the treasures uh, and riches that they had gained from war, but they also uh, displayed the highest-ranking leaders and warriors from the enemy at the front of this procession, displayed as conquered slaves, um, defeated now. And what better way to demonstrate your power, not only to uh, your own citizens, the Roman citizens, but to display your power to the nation, city, people that you had just conquered. Paul continues with this imagery in verse 15 and 16. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. So Paul here is referencing that second part of that custom, which was incense. This procession, which I'm not sure where it started, but it ended in Rome, at the capital, and along the way, on that route, incense was lit. And so as uh, the people who are partaking in this procession and people watching, they're smelling this fragrance. As you can imagine, this incense means different things for different people. For the Roman soldiers and generals, uh, the aroma brought joy. It meant celebration. It was the smell of victory. But for the conquered people being forced to march towards slavery or even death, that scent was a reminder that their lives had changed forever, and that was an aroma of defeat. So Paul is painting this picture here, referencing this imagery for the people of Corinth, specifically. Because the people of Corinth had been defeated by Rome a hundred years earlier. The riches of that city had been a part of one of those processions. And the city lay abandoned for some time until uh, an emperor that you may know well, Julius Caesar, ordered it to be rebuilt by the freedmen of Rome. And these freedmen that rebuilt Corinth, uh, freedmen were former slaves, captives from war. So this city lay in ruins for hundreds of years and then was rebuilt before Paul 
uh, writes these letters. And so imagine this letter being read to the church of Corinth, to a very diverse congregation of Romans, Jews, and some freedmen, people from all over whose history with Rome may not have been the greatest. Paul's using this as a reference of, uh, using this reference of triumphal procession and fragrance with such intentionality. Why? What is Paul talking about? Why does he reference these things? Well, he's explaining to that congregation, to that church in Corinth, that they now have victory in Christ. They are on the winning side now. They can now experience the joy and celebration in this triumphal procession that Christ leads them in. He says that when they live in victory that comes from God, they will be the aroma of Christ. When they live in victory that comes from God, they will be the aroma of Christ. That aroma is pleasing to God. It glorifies God, and it gives honor to him for the victory. Again, all of this is because of God. So the church of Corinth, living in Christ's victory, is a pleasing aroma to God. It is for God. That same aroma, like the procession in Rome, has two functions. It will be received differently by different people. Paul is stating the fact that our fragrance uh, glorifies God, but it also implies uh, a reaction caused in other people. So for some that will encounter the aroma of Christian living, some will be attracted to it. They will want to be a part of that victory that is in Christ. For others, those who do not believe, they will encounter the aroma of Christian living, living in victory, and reject it, deny it, leading them to their own condemnation. Same fragrance, different reaction. Paul then explains who the focus is on as they live in victory. In verse 15, it says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God. So the church of Corinth was being reminded that their focus is still heavenward, still focused on God. They are to live for God, but that God uses them to reach the lost, to reach those who do not yet know him, to reach those who are marching towards death and to bring them to life. Paul then asks this rhetorical question, who can do all of this? And verse 17 says, For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Everything that Paul has said so far, this included, still hinges on God being the one behind it. The Corinthians on their own don't qualify to do this, um, but they speak in his truth and from his power. And I like this contrast that Paul makes for his audience, not peddlers, but men of sincerity. You see, at this time, people in Corinth were, just like people today, trying to figure out life's problems. Why am I here? What's the purpose? What do I do with my life? And they handled it in a very Greco-Roman way, through thinking. They loved philosophy. The church in Corinth may have had some concern at the time that there are other philosophies and ideologies that sounded better and more sophisticated. Stephen Lawson Uh, says, the Greeks considered a crucified man to be nothing more than a despised criminal. However, they highly prized worldly philosophies and man-centered ideologies. So there's these philosophers and thinkers out there in Corinth, and they're thinking of all these explanations for life, purpose and why. Um, 
but how do they spread their philosophies and ideologies? There's no Twitter and there's no Facebook or internet or YouTube to get it to the masses. Uh, so the most impactful way was by speech. These philosophers would come up with something they thought was the answer. I've got it. I figured it out, but I'm terrible at speaking. How do I convince everyone to follow my idea? This problem, by the way, of not being a great public speaker is one that the Church of Corinth actually has with Paul. They question his ability. They like his writing, but when he comes and visits, they're kind of unimpressed with how he speaks to them. You see, how the truth was communicated affected how it was received. I want to back up for a second. So these philosophers, they come up with their ideas. They're wondering, how do I get it out there? Um, They're not the best communicators. And so they find people who are. People who had the ability to speak well, persuasively, convincingly, made a living out of giving these messages, reading others' philosophies and ideologies. Being an orator in Corinth was really good money. But they were just hired guns, so to, so to say, peddlers of the newest truth. It didn't matter if they believed it or not. If they could convey the message well, mission accomplished. And Paul says that this is not the way that the gospel is to be communicated. I think, it's, I think he's saying it doesn't matter if I, Paul, if you think I'm a good public speaker or not. It doesn't matter if you, Corinthians, are good or not at speaking. What makes a difference is that this all comes from God. He's the reason, not the ability of the one speaking. Paul, does, uh, Paul doesn't speak from his own strength. It is not dependent on Paul's ability whether the gospel will be received in someone or not. It's dependent on God. So the truth of the gospel is not commissioned by Paul or any other apostle, uh, not any other leader from the church. Those believers in Corinth are commissioned by God himself to speak the truth. And they are to speak from the heart. Paul is saying, you Corinthians, speak from what you know in your heart, from your relationship with God. Be sincere. So, in our little recap, we've seen that Paul has laid out to the church of Corinth that uh, they have victory in Christ because of Christ, and that as they live their lives in victory, they will be uh, an aroma that pleases God and causes a reaction in other people, a reaction where some will come closer to God and others will continue down their path towards eternal death. Paul reminds the Corinthians that this is from the authority of God and they are to speak Uh, with the power and truth of Christ from their hearts. So what does this mean for us today in this room, Uh, for for us, church, as Christians in 2018? With the help of my professor from this assignment, I see three things. Victory, all these things, uh, again, are contingent upon God. He is the key. Victory in Christ means, one, that God elevates us, Two, that God uses us. And three, that God empowers us. Victory in Christ means that God elevates us, uses us, and empowers us. So first, God elevates us. We were once dead in our sins, and now we are alive in Christ. We have new life because God elevates us to have victory over our sins. God elevates us and we triumph in Christ. That's the first point. 
we triumph in Christ. In class, we were talking through our assignment of this passage, and we were talking about Paul's triumphal procession and trying to think of something that happens today that we could relate to. And the thing that came to mind was a sports parade. Um, If you don't know this about me, I love sports. Uh, I don't play much anymore, but I still keep up with what's going on in the sports world. Like right now, it's March Madness. Um, And it's exciting. I don't have a team in college, um, but I'm kind of jumping on the bandwagon of Loyola Chicago. Some of you know. 11th seed going to the Final Four. It's amazing. Um, But I'm a fan of sports, and it's it's just fun to watch. And in, in March Madness, I'm just watching for close games and upsets. If there was a team that I really cared for, uh, I'd be more invested. And as a fan of a team that I really care for, the best moment is when the team wins it all, wins the championship. Um, Most of the teams that I root for have not given me that joy recently. Uh, I'm a Niners fan, and for you Niners fans out there, it's been rough. Uh, I'm a Kings fan, and it's been the rough decade or decades we've never won. Um, I am a San Francisco Giants fan, and so they uh, have recently won three World Series in five years, the even-year Giants. Um, I can remember where I was for each one of them. 2010, I didn't grow up a baseball fan. My roommate in college was, and he kind of got me into it. And when they won, we ran around campus uh, screaming, fist-pumping, hollering in L.A. Dodger territory, and it was great. Uh, 2012, I was driving on the car, in the car with the radio on, and again, more fist pumping and hollering, and um, that was great. In 2014, uh, when they won the World Series, Jessica Nimi and I were actually downstairs with a youth bunko night. Uh, we had the game on in the background because they cared, and um, we <laughs> watched the game when the final out was called. We led them in running around the room, and You get the theme in my celebration. It's a lot of this. (laughs) Um, But the point, every time the Giants uh, won the World Series, the city of San Francisco threw them a parade. Uh, And these parades are a big deal. The city shuts down. Everyone, people from out here, drive to San Francisco to be a part of these parades. Uh, They take off work. Uh, There's confetti flying down from I don't know where. But uh, the people line the streets are very, very crowded, and the players all get in cars, and they have their trophy with them, and they're in convertibles, and they just kind of drive around really slow, waving to everyone, and people are going crazy, and it's just one big celebration in this shared victory of what happened. The point of me bringing all that up was that the team who did everything to earn that victory, the fans did not swing the bat or catch the ball, The team who did everything to earn that victory is sharing in that celebration with the fans of San Francisco, um, sharing in that victory, celebrating, and having a good time. What's even better for us in our Christian faith and in our Christian life is that we are not just on the sideline getting to cheer what God did for us. It says that we are in the procession. We are in that victory parade with Christ. God elevates us to triumph in him. The second point under God uh, triumphs is that he elevates us to be representatives of him. Verse 15 says, For we are the aroma of Christ. As we live our lives for Christ, we're representing his character, his holiness, his greatness. That's the aroma. 
And as I was meditating on this idea of being a representative of Christ this week, this question came to mind, who is the hero of my story? Is it me or is it Jesus? And the point of that question is that I have to remember my role in the kingdom. I'm not the hero of my story. I think at times it can be human nature to want to be the hero, to put ourselves at the center of life and to have things revolve around us. But we have to remember that we are representatives of Christ. Christ is the hero. He's at the center of our lives. And so we don't point to ourselves to give ourselves credit or glory. Uh, We give it all to God. He is the one who brought the victory, who brings us victory. He is the one in whom we celebrate and take joy in. We represent him. So what does life and victory in Christ look like? It looks like God elevating us to triumph in him and to be representatives of him. Next, it means that God uses us. God uses us to accomplish his purpose and to spread his message. It both glorifies God and it spreads his truth to those around us. As we today live our Christian life in Granite Bay or Roseville, Rockland, Citrus Heights, Fair Oaks, Placerville, we live in the victory of Christ. We are an aroma to God. Paul likes this phrase of being a fragrance to God. He uses it in Philippians and Ephesians. And each time he makes the important note that it is first and foremost for God. As we live a life pleasing and honoring to God in obedience with his word, we bring him glory. And that is our overall purpose. So God uses us to accomplish his purpose to bring himself glory. At the same time, verse 17 talks about God using us to speak his truth. We all as Christians are commissioned by God to speak the truth. Capital T truth here. It is not anyone else's responsibility more than it is yours to share the gospel. You do not have to have the gift of evangelism to speak the truth of Christ. You don't have to speak in fancy, elaborate ways. It's not dependent on you and your ability for whether someone comes to know God or not. That is from Christ. That's through the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't say this to let you off the hook for sharing the gospel, but to lift any weight or burden you may feel in thinking that you aren't good enough to share the gospel. We are all commissioned by God, purposed by God, to share his word. And can I just say this morning that sharing the gospel does not simply mean inviting people to church. This may be for more my generation, but it's good for all of us to hear it. Yes, inviting people to church is great, and that needs to happen, but it can't be the only thing that happens. I think a dangerous mindset of... Uh, compromise or mediocrity is settling into churches today where congregations think that inviting people to church is the same as sharing Christ with them. Someone might think, okay, I need to share God's word, and then they see their neighbor or their coworker or a fellow classmate, and they say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Find out who, what Christianity is all about, what Jesus is all about. And then they have this sense of accomplishment. I did it. And they could feel this accomplishment because they think, pastor will share the gospel and I don't have to get into the nitty-gritty details because pastor's going to take care of all that on Sunday. I am not convinced that that's the model we see in the Bible. I'm not saying that we're purposely trying to avoid anything. If we were to 
do this or we think about it this bluntly, but I, I see it happening. And I'll say that I've been guilty of thinking along these lines. If I can just get them to East Parkway Church, Pastor Wayne will give a better message than I ever could about the gospel. So what, why don't I just do that? It's no excuse to share the gospel with those uh, in my life. Paul is saying that we are to live in the victory of Christ through action and words. We are commissioned to speak in Christ, to spread his fragrance. Victory in Christ looks like God using us to bring himself glory. That's our purpose. And using us to spread the gospel to others by commissioning us to speak. And finally, it means that God empowers us. He empowers us to speak simply and from the heart. Unlike the peddlers at that time trying to impress with fancy and elaborate styles based on their own ability, we don't have to worry about that. If you have that, if you have that, if you can speak the gospel in an amazing way, that's great. Use it. That's a gift. If you don't, don't worry about it. God will empower you. He'll give you everything that you need. Because it's of God, it's from God. God gives us Uh, the words to say in those moments. He empowers us through the Holy Spirit. We aren't qualified on our own, but because of God, we share in Christ's victory, and God gives us what we need. This has been uh, shared many times from the pulpit on Sunday, but I think it's worth repeating. Speak what you know. I think the first time I heard that was Dr. Nystrom coming up here talking about testimony and to testify. And the point is you just speak what you know. You don't have to know every single thing. You speak what you know about God. So God empowers us to first speak simply, and then he also empowers us to speak from the heart. Because we have a personal relationship with God. We are living in the victory of Christ, and we can speak from our own experiences. We can speak with sincerity. Speaking with sincerity, I think, implies that we know God for ourselves, and we know him all the time, through good and bad. As Pastor Wayne was talking about from blessed be your name. Uh, To me, the picture of a sincere relationship with someone means that that happens all the time. Uh, No matter what's going on in life, I have an authentic, real relationship with that person or with God. Sincerity means that through thick or thin, uh, I know that God is there for me. Uh, Again, this may be more for my generation, but it's good for all of us to hear it um, because maybe you can help our generation out knowing what a problem is. I think there's a present danger to get caught up in a Christianity that is not sincere. It's not uh, from the heart. It's more of a trend, and it threatens to make peddlers of a false gospel. Often this truth... This gospel consists mostly of personal prosperity and gain. But I want to challenge us to know that this victory in Christ does not always mean success as the world defines it. Victorious living in Christ does not mean that everything you do will be victorious. I see this often in my world, in the Roseville, Rockland, Granite Bay community. Christianity uh, takes on a certain culture in the millennial age and it scares me it's all about the good times with God 
God will bring me whatever I want or think I need, and then my life is now set up in worldly ways because God is on my side. I've had conversations with people that say, life is hard, I'm struggling right now, I have no money, um, and it's just very difficult. And after a while, they may pray to God to help them. They get a new job, life is better, everything is great, and I hear, man, God is so good, I'm doing really well, life is awesome. What worries me uh, is that I don't hear that God is good before that job rolled around. Or before the money comes in and things are difficult. I was, I'm not saying that it was wrong for them to praise God for the new job. That's the correct response. God may have been giving that to them. But when we only praise God for the good things, the things that benefit us and give to us, I think there's something missing. There's something wrong there. We should not be at the center of our relationship with God. Life revolves around him and not our gain. And so this scary culture, Christianity culture to me, it makes me wonder if they have a sincere relationship with Christ, if they're even speaking with sincerity um, from God, because it seems like they're speaking from their personal gain. We as believers have a different perspective than anyone else in the world. We have victory in Christ but that victory in Christ does not mean that life will be easy or that we will be successful. We will fail. We will stumble. We will fall. Life will be difficult. Life will be hard. In fact, I think the gospel tells us just that. It's going to be the, it's the opposite of this new truth or, um, that I hear today. We will have to depend on God. Life will be such that we have to depend on God. So I want to say to these people in those moments... Yes, God may be on your side, but that does not mean you will not experience a tough breakup or an unhealthy relationship or uh, burdening financial troubles or the loss of a loved one. Mistakes will still be made. Sin is not gone. Evil still abounds in this world, but victory in Christ means that when you live your life in obedience in the midst of it all, God is being glorified and his message is being spread to those around you. That's a victorious life. So even when we're broken or suffering, we can still say that God is good. You can be praying for those people and for that Christianity today and for my generation um, and younger that they would not be caught up in a false gospel, uh, but they would trust God through thick or thin. Because of our relationship with Christ, God empowers us to speak sincerely and from the heart. And we cannot accomplish any of this on our own. This victory is God's victory, and we share in it. So in conclusion, victory in Christ looks like God being glorified as he elevates us to triumphal procession and to be his representatives. Victory in Christ looks like God using us to fulfill his purpose of glorifying himself and spreading his message to those around us. And victory in Christ looks like God empowering us to speak that message simply and sincerely. Living a life in victory in Christ comes from God. That victory came through God sending his son, Jesus Christ, to defeat sin and death and to rise again. And we get a share in that. We are part of that triumphal procession. As we live a life... Uh, of obedience to God, no matter what is going on, 
we, we glorify him and we spread his message to those in our lives. I think that not only gives us confidence to obey and honor him moving forward and to obey and honor him with everything that we have, but it gives us hope as well, something that uh, Pastor Wayne will talk more about next week. So as we live our life for Christ, let's move forward today in victory. Amen? I'll pray. God, you are a good, good God. Even when there is nothing good happening in our life, thank you for the comfort and the confidence and the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you for sending your son to take on our sin, to die on the cross, and to rise again to give us life. God, I pray that we will move forward in our lives today, remembering that we share in a victory with you. God, I pray that you would uh, continue to elevate us in this triumphal procession, that we would remember that we aren't the heroes, but that we represent you all the time. God, I pray that you would continue to use us to fulfill your purpose, bringing you glory and spreading your message. And as we spread that message, God, I pray that we would trust that you're going to empower us to speak the words necessary and from the heart. God, I pray uh, for this church, East Parkway, that as you continue to build this community uh, for your cause, God, that you would continue to develop us, transforming our hearts, helping us to be more like you, um, and that you would give us confidence to do that Uh, to those in our life who don't know Christ, who need your truth and your gospel. So God, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.